Guys, I invite you to take your Bibles. Turn with me for our scripture reading for the sermon this morning. We are in 1 John chapter 4. The first letter of John chapter 4. We're going to look together at verses 7 through 21. I ask you to please stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. This is God's holy word for us, His people. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is God's holy word for us, his people. Let's ask him to bless our time in his word. Father, this is truly your word to us. We thank you once again that you have not remained silent, that you have spoken through your apostles and prophets, and that you have given us your holy scriptures, an inspired and infallible word from heaven. And we ask that you would take these powerful and life-giving words And write them upon our hearts. Challenge and change us today. You be our teacher. You speak your word. And we will become more conformed to the image of Christ today. For our good and for his glory. And that is our prayer. In Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated.
one of the most terrifying stories in the Bible is in Genesis 22. God appeared to Abraham and said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. Early the next morning, Abraham gathers some supplies, grabs a couple of his servants, and gets his son Isaac up, and they set out. He didn't tell Isaac what was going to happen. On they traveled. Abraham's heart and soul must have been so deeply distressed. His whole mind was surely vexed as it had never been. And his spirit, no doubt, was tangled in knots. Yet on they went, each step bringing them closer to the appointed place. Each passing moment hastened the dreadful hour of sacrifice. We can almost imagine Abraham's swirling thoughts as they travel on to Moriah. What is God doing? Why is this happening? Is this really God's will? I don't want to lose my son, my, my precious boy. What am I going to say to him? How am I going to be able to go through with this? Will Isaac understand? How can I go on without him, never to see his face or hear his voice again? And God, why do I have to be the one to kill him? And what will I say to his mother? How could God ask this of me? The price is so high. Why? God, please. God, why? Why? Finally, they reach the mountain. Abraham and Isaac leave the servants and go up the slope. With fear and trembling, the altar is set and everything is prepared. Isaac still doesn't know. He asks his father, where is the lamb for the offering? And Abraham says, son, God himself will provide the lamb. At last, the grim reality begins to dawn on young Isaac. As Abraham takes his son and binds him hand and foot, he places him upon the altar on top of the wood. Isaac doesn't make a sound, and Abraham reaches for the knife. This is it. This is the moment. This is the will of God. There is no turning back now. His, his mind is wild. His heart is pounding. His hands are shaking. His knees trembling. He hesitates, and then he steadies his hand. It must be a clean cut that kills him quickly. He doesn't want him to suffer. And now time has run out. He knows what he must do. Abraham takes hold of his son with one hand. And he raises the knife in the air with the other. His muscles tighten. And as he finally gives way to the will of God, he brings down the knife to slaughter his only son. 
This is terrifying and horrific. And you all know what happens next. As Abraham makes the first impulse of movement to plunge his knife into his son, the angel of the Lord cries out his name, Abraham, Abraham. And he stops him at the last possible second. And the angel shows Abraham a ram caught in a thicket. And Abraham pulls Isaac down and he sacrifices that ram in his place. Now why did God put Abraham through this test? Why on earth would God do something like this? Well, the angel, the Lord tells us in Genesis twenty-two twelve. He says, Abraham, God wanted you to prove your love to him. Because the angel says in God's behalf, Now, Abraham, now I know you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son, whom you love. Now I know because you have demonstrated your love for me. He wanted Abraham to demonstrate his love. And in exchange, God ended up proving his love. You see, God let Isaac live. And he provided a sacrifice for himself. God demonstrated his love to Abraham and Isaac. And beloved, 2,000 years later, the story continued as God took the knife from Abraham's hand And he demonstrated his love for you by slaughtering his only son, whom he loves, in your place. You see, God always has a substitute for us Isaacs who are the children of Abraham. And in our passage this morning, we see at the beginning in verse 7 and at the very end in verse 21... That God commands that we love one another, our fellow believers. He says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And at the very end in verse 21, And this commandment we have from Him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, Abraham did not have the option of not loving, and neither do we. Love is essential to the Christian life. But God has not left us to our own strength. God enables and empowers and inspires our love for one another by demonstrating His love to us through the death of His Son. And He enables and empowers and inspires our love for one another by pouring His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who unites us to God. That's what John tells us in our passage today. And when we see and know the overwhelming love of God, we are moved to share His love with one another. And in the fullness of His love, 
seen on display, felt in our heart, poured out to one another in the fullness and the overflow of God's love to us and through us. He makes us fearless, bold, confident, and secure in His service. So this morning, this is what we're going to look at in our passage. First, how God demonstrates His love. And in the demonstration of His love, how He enables and inspires our love for one another. And then in the fullness of that love, how He gives us peace and security in His love so that we become confident in Him and courageous in our lives. That's where we're going today. So let's turn now to our passage and look first at the demonstration of God's love and how it inspires and enables us to love our fellow believers. I have in your notes two ways that God demonstrates His love. First, He demonstrates it on the outside and He demonstrates it on the inside. And that outside demonstration of His love inspires our love. And that internal demonstration of His love enables us to love one another. So first, the outside. God enables and empowers our love for one another from both the outside and the inside. And from the outside, God displays His love for us by sending His Son to save us. And beholding such love stirs our hearts and motivates our response of love. Look at verses 9 and 10 and also verse 14. In this, the love of God was made manifest, put on display, demonstrated. By this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation of our sins. Or verse 14, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Three times, sent, sent, sent. The Father sent the Son So we have three things the Father sent the Son to do as He puts His love on display, as He makes His love manifest to us. He does it by showing us Jesus. And He does it by sending His Son to do these three things, verses 9, 10, and 14. In verse 9, we see He sent the Son for the purpose of the incarnation. He sends the Son into the world who takes upon Himself our humanity, As John says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the Word, the eternal Word who's always dwelt with the Father became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. And so He sends the Son into the world to be, as Paul says in in Colossians chapter 1, that He is the image of the invisible God. Or as Jesus says in the Gospel of John, when you've seen me, Philip, you've seen the Father because the Father is in me. John 1.18, the Son has come to unveil, reveal, disclose, explain, exegete the Father to us so that when we see Jesus, we see His Father in Him For God was in Christ, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5. He sent the Son in verse 9 
to make His love manifest, He sends His Son into the world so that we might live through Him to give us life. He also demonstrates His love not just in sending the Son for the incarnation, but once He's incarnate, once He's here, once He's walking around in our midst, He sends Him in verse 10 for the purpose of what John calls propitiation. Verse 10, in this is love. Another demonstration. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is not a word we often use in common English today, but it simply refers to the fact that God sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins that saves us from the wrath of God that hangs over us because of our sin and unbelief. We are dead in sin and we are damned in sin. Spiritually dead, under the curse, on our way to hell, guilty before the law of God. We will stand before the judgment and we will be sentenced to eternal destruction. That's where we start. But here, Christ is sent to be the one who liberates us out of that coming wrath. Who takes us out from under the judgment and curse of God. Who satisfies God's law and God's justice in our behalf. Takes away our sin. Makes us righteous. Makes us acceptable. Reconciles us to God. He demonstrates His love for you, Christian, by sending Jesus to do for you what only He could do. And that's liberate you from the judgment that your sin deserves, to spare you and save you from the coming wrath that all of us start out under in this life. He demonstrates His love on the outside, puts it on display in Jesus, in the flesh, through the incarnation, verse 9, second, through propitiation, verse 10, and then third, in verse 14, through actually accomplishing our salvation. Verse 14, and we have seen, again, this outward display where we can see it. He, we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Not simply of the Jewish people, but of every believer in every nation through all ages. He comes to save His people from coast to coast, from pole to pole, Throughout this globe, He is the only Savior from sin. And He stands risen and ready to forgive all who trust in His incarnation and propitiation, who He is and what He has accomplished. This is how God puts it on display. And this outward display is what inspires our love. Notice the expected result of this display in verse 11. Beloved, if... God so loved us. When you hear that language of God so loved, your mind ought to race back to the echo of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Well, if He so loved us, verse 11, we also ought to love one another. Beholding God's great love for us Isaacs, Beholding God's great love for the children of Abraham, it beckons, it summons, it even demands that we go and love others as God has loved us through Jesus Christ. John says the same thing earlier in this letter. We just, re we just referred to John 3.16, perhaps the most memorized verse in the Bible. Well, there's another one. There's 
1 John 3.16, which is also pretty good, that I recommend we try to memorize together. 1 John 3.16, he says, By this we know love, that he, Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers, for our fellow believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Our love does not come ultimately from us. It has to start with God. He is love. He shows us His love. And by beholding the staggering love of God displayed in Jesus, it inspires, it moves, it melts the heart to see such love for me. And then I turn and look at my fellow brothers and sisters and I say, if God has so loved me, how could I close my heart to my brothers and sisters? I become an open conduit through which the love of God begins to flow from his heart to mine to yours. The love of God flows through us as we behold it on display in Jesus. It is inspired, our love is inspired by the vision of God's supreme love for us. And so as verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. The only reason we can love each other, the only reason we can love at all, is because He took the initiative. He loved us first. It does not start from us. It starts in Him. And therefore, verse 21, whoever loves God must also love his brother. When I see God's love for me, it makes me love Him back. And verse 21 says, when we're full of love for God, you know we have to love other people as well. If Jesus so loved us, let us also so love one another. This is the outward display of God's love that inspires our love. But second point under this first, 1B, seeing God's love for us in history in Jesus Christ, is the external way God inspires our love. But God also empowers our love from the inside. He doesn't just leave us with the example of Christ, a picture of Christ, knowledge of Him in history doing for us what the Gospels proclaim that He does. It's not enough for us just simply to look at what God has done and then expect us to be able to go and do it on our own after that. Think of the Israelites coming out of Egypt. They witnessed the ten plagues, cross the Red Sea, pillar of cloud, pillar of fire, and they get across the sea, and as soon as they get there, their bellies growl, we don't see Moses, let's build a golden calf. <laughs> How about we worship some idols? Maybe they'll bake, make us some food. And you think, if I were there, I'd be like, what are you guys doing? We just saw the plagues, the, the Red Sea, pillars of... I mean, hello, you just made that golden cow. That can't be God. You just made it. Come on, guys. But no. No, even Aaron, Moses' brother, is in on it. He's the one who makes it. And you think, well, what more do you need to see, fellas? Come on. And that tells us that... If all we have is just a vision of what God has done for us, although that should be sufficient to inspire our hearts, our hearts 
don't respond naturally even to the staggering love of God on display. Just as those Israelites didn't respond the way we all thought they should have just because they, they crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, they then made a golden calf and worshipped it. Because something's not right on the inside about the heart. And so God knows that we need more than just some external inspiration in the life of Jesus. We need some internal power. We need something on the inside to change our hearts. And so God takes care of this as well as John tells us in our passage. God also empowers our love for one another from the inside. It is not enough to see God's love for us. We also need to know God's love for ourselves, personally, experientially, down in our hearts. God gives us personal knowledge of His love by uniting us to Himself by the Holy Spirit who causes us to be born again. Look at verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Verses 7 and 8, we see how the new birth leads us to love. Notice he says that God is love. He does not say God has love. We have love, but I would never describe any of you or even myself as love itself. The very embodiment of love. My love isn't like that. My love diminishes, it, it goes up and down. Someone says the wrong thing to me, my love might fluctuate or how I feel about you might change or how or if I do something to you or we do something to each other you see our affections are like the tides they come in and out they're not stable they're not steady God doesn't have love like ours that goes up and down and responds to our offenses and sins and sometimes his love goes down for you and other days when you're doing really really good his love goes up no it's not that God has love like we do. This says God is love. What God has, God is. He doesn't just have love. He is love itself. And His loving actions towards us reveal His nature. He is the very embodiment of love, the standard of love, the paradigm of love, the definition of love. He's the original yardstick by which we can tell that everything else is a yard long. He is love, and all other loves are measured by His. All love comes from God, starts in God, gets defined by God because He is love itself. And all love flows from this divine fountain. So... If God's nature is love, and if you are born of Him, then you must be a partaker of this nature. And you must know Him who is love itself. And therefore we cannot help but to love as He loves. If we have been born of love itself, then we will embody that love in our souls and in our hearts. It becomes part of the fabric of the new creature. 
born again in Christ. And not only does the new birth lead us to love, but there is something even deeper still that causes our new birth. And that is union with God by the Holy Spirit. Now verses 12 and 13. He says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. You see in verse 12, we have union with God. God abides in you, Christian. You abide in Him. And if love itself abides in you, how could you fail to be loving? The one who is love inhabits you through the Holy Spirit. You are united to Him. That's what causes you to be born again. Union with love itself transforms you into a new creature who embodies and enacts that love in your own life. And it's the Spirit of God, verse 13, that comes to dwell with us. It says that He has given us of His Spirit. That is, He has given us a portion of His Spirit. Or as Paul says in Romans 5, 5, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Spirit of the living, loving God resides in us. The God of love is within us changing us, transforming us, making us into new creatures, giving us new hearts, causing us to be born again. And therefore, how could we not walk in the ways of love? Because now that's what we are. We have new instincts, a new nature, new affections, new principles, new priorities, new values, a whole new worldview. Now we love as God loves, we see as God sees. Now we have eyes to see and hearts to fear when we look at the display of God's love in Christ. Now that new heart loves it, runs to it, sees it as beautiful, powerful, treasure, everything. Whereas before, before we were saved, we heard the gospel and it's like, eh, not interesting. When's this going to be over? Pizza sounds better than Jesus right now. TV, football, the next thing, the next, the next possession, the next experience, the ne- anything else but the Lord right now. I'm here because of religion and let's go. That's how I was. I, I was a Christian, but I didn't care about any of this stuff. Yeah, I believed it. But so what? It didn't matter, didn't motivate me, didn't change me. But one day when the heart of stone was taken out and a heart of flesh that burns and beats with faith was put in. Now all of a sudden, yes, Jesus, I get it. Glory, beauty, power, treasure, everything. That new birth makes all the difference. Did I do that to myself? No, I didn't love God first. He loved me first. My love starts with Him. He goes down deep underneath the surface of our hardness of heart. And he erodes it away from underneath. One old preacher in the 1800s said, it's like a person who builds a house, a great mansion, but he alone knows that he's built all sorts of secret passageways and no one else knows how to access them or navigate them. And that's how, the, that's how God has done us. He's built our hearts like these houses with these secret passageways and the Holy Spirit knows how to access those, to come up underneath, to infiltrate unseen 
through the gospel to cause that heart to change. The Holy Spirit has access like nothing else. Now, don't miss the deeply Trinitarian structure of the passage. This is how John, John doesn't take time to explain the Trinity. He just weaves it into the very fabric of his thinking. This is how the passage is structured. God sends the Son and the Holy Spirit to save us and unite us to Him. And from this reconciled union with God in Christ and by the Spirit, we live the Christian life of love in obedience to God's commands. It's Trinitarian from start to finish. God, by His Son on the outside and His Spirit on the inside, demonstrates His love for us. And through Christ, we are inspired to love, and by the Holy Spirit, we are changed and enabled from the inside to love. And then we get the summary of this passage. The very heart of the passage is in verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. There's union with God. So we have come to know, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. You see, by faith we are united to Christ, and in Christ we are united to God by the Holy Spirit. And therefore we now see and know the love that God has and is. Love is the cord that binds us to God and to one another. Now that we understand how the demonstration of his love and the spirit of his love inspire and enable and empower our love for our fellow believers, let us look now at what results from seeing and knowing the fullness of God's love. When God's love is displayed in Christ and in our hearts by the spirit, we then experience the peaceful security of God's love. The peaceful security of God's love. And that looks like two things. It looks like confidence in God. And it looks like courage in life. First, love makes us confident before God. Look at verse 17. By this is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence. Confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. Christian, when you feel in your heart God's love for you, and when you see His love displayed, and when you seek to pour that love out upon your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that's how you know that the divine love has reached its fullness within you. And when you see that, when you recognize that, it assures your heart and your conscience before God. Whenever God's love is poured into you, imagine you're a vessel. And just like in Psalm 23, my cup overfloweth, right? King James, my cup runs over. God's love is poured into us and it's getting fuller and fuller and fuller. And when it brims over and spills out into your love for others, 
when you see the cup overflowing with love to others, that's how you know that the fullness of love is in you. You're overflowing with it. You're full with God's love. And that's going to be one of the things that gives you assurance in your heart and conscience before God. We know we will all pass the judgment of God. Why is that? At the end of verse 17, it says, Because we have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, as Christ is, so also are we in this world. As Christ is, so also are we. Christ is, a, is the Son of God. And if we are born again through the Son of God, adopted into the family of God, we also are a child of God. We also have been born of Him. We are a justified child of God. Chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous. If you live to practice righteousness, to walk in obedience to God's commands, if you make it your aim to walk faithfully with Christ, to obey God, to walk in His commandments, this says, don't let anybody deceive you. Don't let anybody lie to you or trick you. If you're walking in righteousness with the Lord, you are righteous just as He is righteous. What is that? <laughs> that, that can't mean my righteousness is as perfect as Jesus' righteousness. You see, the Apostle Paul's the one who always talks about justification. And John doesn't really talk about it, but he alludes to it right here. If you're walking in righteousness, that's evidence that you are a justified child of God. For you are righteous just as He is righteous. You have been justified. And now, because you see that God is at work in your life, you are full of His love. You are walking in His ways. Therefore, God is in me. I have the Holy Spirit. Christ is my Savior. Look at that. God has claimed me as His own. And He promised that if He claims me, He's never going to let me go. Yes, I'm going to pass the judgment. I'm going to make it. Yes. It assures our hearts. It gives us confidence, not fingers crossed, toes crossed, oh, I hope I get by. But we're going to go boldly into the kingdom, enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant, Jesus will say. And we can have confidence that we're going to hear those words at the end. Chapter 2, and now, verse 28, and now little children abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His coming. If we are walking in the love of God, if we're full of God's love, we have the peaceful security of that love. And, that, and the first thing that security gives us is confidence in God, that He's for me, He loves me. He really does. I don't have to wonder and guess. If you've ever been in a relationship with somebody and you're not quite sure where the relationship is, how does she feel about me? What's he thinking? Where is this going? I don't know how we feel about each other. That's not the relationship you're in with the Lord. He loves me, he loves me not. He loves me, he loves me not. You're not in that. He is love. It doesn't go up and down. If he's at work in you, if his love is in you, you are his forever. He has betrothed you to himself. 
And you will be at the marriage supper of the Lamb on the last day. Finally then, the peaceful security that comes from seeing God's love displayed in Christ and the Spirit and that work in our lives. First is confidence in God, and then finally, it is courage in life. Love makes us confident before God, and love makes us courageous in life. Look at verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear has to do with punishment, but perfect love casts out fear. Christian, when you see and when you know the fullness of God's love in your heart, and you see and know it on display, working through you in your life as you love each other from your heart, you can face absolutely anything this world throws at you. You can be so secure in God's love. You can be so secure in God's love, and you can so trust in Christ... Because now you understand that your suffering and your pain, your trials and your tribulations are not God's punishment. Your sorrow is not because God is punishing you for your sin. Because Christ propitiated that sin and took away God's punishment from you. You're not bearing God's condemnation and His wrath when you go through difficulties and trials from just ordinary daily disturbances and annoyances down to the deepest, blackest valley you could imagine facing or maybe already have faced. That's not evidence that God's love has forsaken you or abandoned you. Perfect love casts out that fear because fear has to do with punishment. But if you know a God of perfect and infinite love, you do not know a God who is punishing you. If you're outside of Christ, that's all you know is punishment. You're bearing the wrath of God. But if you're in Christ, all you get is grace 24-7 Every day, all the way to glory. It's nothing but faithfulness and mercy and grace. It's not punishment. And therefore, you can have courage that God is working all things to your good. Even the deepest ache and cry of your broken heart. Even the most sorrowful experience. You can imagine the tragedy, the, the malevolence, the bitterness that the world throws at us. The horror that happens in the world around us. It's not judgment against you. It is the hand of a heavenly father who is guiding you on the path He's chosen for you to make it to the celestial city at the end of that narrow way. You are marching unto Zion, come what may. You can have courage in life. You can love with courage so that even if your fellow believer doesn't give it back to you, that's between them and God. You can have courage to face rejection. You can have courage to face Insult and mockery and rejection and slander and unfairness. You can face it with courage. Why? Because you know the overwhelming, infinite, eternal, unquenchable love of God. Displayed in Christ. Poured into your heart by the Spirit. 
poured out through you into life to one another. You are bought and paid for with a love that will never let you go. He loves you. Just let that wash over you for a second. He loves you, singular, to each one of you. He loves you. And He calls you to show your love for Him like He did Abraham. It might not look like traveling to Mount Moriah to offer up your child in sacrifice like it did for Abraham. But right where you are, Christian, where is He calling you to prove your love for Him, to put it on display, to show it? As verse 20 says, if anyone says, oh, I love God, I love God, and hates his brother, that's a liar. You're talking to a liar. The one who claims to love and just says the words, mouths off some some biblical religious words, but doesn't have anything in life to back it up, that's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. We'll close with these words that John says earlier in the letter. Chapter 3, verse 17. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. Meditate on these words today, beloved. Think upon the word of God. Ask yourself, how can I put my love for Christ on display? Who can I show that love to? Who can I open up my heart to? Who do I have my heart closed towards? How can I love the way he has? Let that love melt your heart today. Let it wash over you and let it cause you to rejoice with confidence and courage through Christ and the Spirit to the glory of God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you that you are love itself and that you have caused us to be born anew, to be born again that you've given us of your Spirit, that you've filled us with everything we need. You've given us Christ. You've given us the Spirit. You've made us new creatures. You've put your love in our hearts. You've set us to walking on that narrow way. Keep us, I pray. Keep us walking forward onto that inheritance you have for us. And let us look at every step of the way how we can pour out that love that you've given to us so freely and richly, without price, without condition, How can we extend that love to one another? Convict us of where we have our hearts closed. Show us opportunities where we can open our hearts, where we can give of ourselves. Show us who we need to forgive. Show us how to reconcile. Show us how to be kind to one another, to yearn for one another, to be the body of Christ you've called us to be. Show us how to put your love on display like you did for us, like Abraham did for you. Show us how and give us the courage and the confidence to walk faithfully in your ways, to love you with all we have, because that's how you've loved us. And let us do it with a joy in our hearts that cannot be quenched by this world. Oh, we ask for these things, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen.